This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here's your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Are you thinking of flight instructing part-time? Well, today we'll be addressing the many benefits and challenges you'll face. There are many reasons why you might choose to flight instruct part-time, which may include you have a career, you enjoy what you're doing, but you want to share your passion for flying in a more profound way. Maybe you're an experienced pilot who feels you can give back to the aviation community by passing along your knowledge. Maybe you're thinking of a career as a pilot, but don't wish to make a full-time commitment just yet. Or you're retired and you're looking for another challenge in life. Whatever your reason, we will discuss becoming a successful part-time flight instructor. If you currently are an airline pilot or employed as a pilot, there's a few things you need to think about. And one of them is first getting permission of your current employer. Most, well, most are willing to let you do some outside instructing, but some won't. So you need to make sure you do that. You have to find out what your policy is at your company. The other thing to think about if you currently are a professional pilot is to figure out what your fly time will do for your current job. You know, there's been many interpretations as to whether flight instruction is or is not commercial flying, and it really does depend on the FISDO. Of course, we're trying to get clarification on this, but if your employer says no, it does count, or your local FISDO does say it counts towards say you're 100 hours per month if you're an airline pilot, well, then you make sure you don't go over that limit. Personally, what I do, just to make sure I don't get in trouble, I will not go over that 100 hours. So if I fly 90 hours with the airline, I'm not going to do more than 10 hours of instruction just to keep myself within those boundaries, and I, I would advise you to do that also. The other thing that you really have to be careful of is violations and other risks that could affect your career as a professional pilot. If you have a violation while you're flying outside of work, you could lose your license. You could lose your license at work also. But if you lose your license, you lose your livelihood. So you really need to be careful of this. So you have to take some more precautions when you're actually flying part-time as a flight instructor. That The biggest thing you need to look at is look at any types of airspace that have suddenly become prohibited. Uh, and any type of TFRs is what I'm talking about, temporary flight restrictions. And those are popping up all over the country not right now, especially now that we're in campaign mode. We really need to look at those. And I have a few horror stories uh, where people have actually lost their license, where they're an air transport pilot and they were knocked down to a private pilot, had to go through and get every single license over again. So don't let that happen to you. So look into your options. It would be great if you could give back to the aviation community. Say you don't want a flight instructor. Say what you want to do is actually do ground schools and maybe do like what I do with the aviation safety program and give presentations. That's another avenue to look at. So make sure you do that. Get permission from your employer. Make sure you keep your flight time in line and watch out for violations. And if you don't want a flight instructor, there's many other ways you can help people in the aviation world through the vast knowledge that you have as a pilot. 
Today I have a guest with me, Tom Halverson, and, and Tom has a challenging career in the pharmaceutical industry unrelated to aviation and has been doing an outstanding job as a part-time flight instructor. Tom, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Good to be with you, Carl. Thanks. Um, you know, Tom, just as a, a quick introduction to you, uh, you've, been, you've been actually flying for quite some time. Uh, just tell us a little bit of background on your flying career. Well, I've actually been flying for about 40 years. Wow. I started when I was two. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of years, but I actually did not get my instrument rating until probably about 15 or so years ago, maybe a little more than that. And uh, then I propelled myself through the various different ratings and uh, became a flight instructor. Now, you said two years old. How is it that you came to fly at two years old? <laughs> well, I obviously didn't start at two years old, but uh, they offered, my, my brother was a pilot, and uh, he uh, took me on my first flight in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then uh, during that year, uh, senior year in high school, they offered a ground school that uh, would prepare you for your written test, which I enrolled in. Uh, passed my written test uh, my senior year in high school and got my license uh, right after high school. And then you uh, started flying for fun, and, and but in the meantime you had this career, and your career is in pharmaceuticals. Were you in pharmaceuticals for your whole career, your whole adult career life? Yeah, after graduating from uh, college I had uh, a few years in another industry, but uh, for the last 30 plus years I've uh, been in the pharmaceutical industry and in a marketing capacity and uh, always certainly enjoyed aviation but when I uh, first got my license because of uh, eyesight uh, at that time I was told anyways that you had to have 20-20 vision which I did not have so I never pursued a uh, career in aviation until actually I got to uh, the point where I moved into flight instructing. You know, it's interesting you said that because there's a lot of people that don't realize uh, back when, when I started and when you were uh, started flying, most airlines would not allow you to work for them unless you had perfect vision, 20-20 vision. You actually had to get hired and have 20-20 vision, just like the military. And these days, that's all changed. Uh, you can have corrective surgery or you don't even need 20-20 vision. You can go work for the airlines just like I have. When I started getting into it uh, professionally, uh, there was only one or two airlines that wouldn't allow you to actually fly full-time with corrective vision. But you actually wanted to, at the time, go into the flying as a career full-time, correct? Uh, yeah, certainly that interested me. I still remember my first flight instructor's name and uh, obviously prepared me for everything I needed to do. But um, he's the one who told me that you'd have a problem with the airlines. And whatever other advice I got... Uh, I made the decision that that was not going to happen. Flying was a lot less expensive then. <laughs> <laughs> but you took that and you you took that that inability to fly for the airlines at the time because of say uh, a physical attribute that you had. Just like somebody today may have another uh, physical problem that prevents them from flying for the airline, but may not prevent them from being say a light sport flight instructor or a, a certified flight instructor. And you're able to actually flight instruct. And it seems to me that it's almost like on a full-time basis. You have quite a student load. How many people do you actually teach right now? Well, I've uh, put through, I think, four or five students this year so far. 
and uh, they've gotten uh, ratings from uh, instrument ratings to uh, commercial. I, I do not do the private uh, training because I'm a freelance instructor and not affiliated with the flight school. So uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult to do the primary training. Uh, but yeah, I have been quite busy. Now I have uh, a CFI student and uh, two commercial students. But that doesn't create quite as much demand on time as do the instrument uh, ratings, as you know. Right. The instrument rating to me is uh, preferred over the commercial and CFI because it's uh, more what I enjoy doing. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you said that, that you brought up a great point. Uh, another thing that people should look at if they're thinking about doing this part-time is a, a flight school that they can join up with. Say they want to do a primary student. Unless you have the money to buy a plane and get the insurance on that airplane to allow someone to solo, you won't be able to do any primary instructing unless you get hired with a local flight school. And I'm not sure what your experience has been, but mine has been that most flight schools are reticent to hire somebody uh, as a contractor. You really have to know those people at the flight school. Is that what you have found also? Yes. Uh, when I first uh, got my instructor rating, I, I actually talked with uh, some folks at a flight school. And because my work schedule and travel schedule uh, my time available would be uh, quite limited at the flight school. And, and they really wanted someone that could be at the flight school and, and sit there during the day and wait for students or certainly service those students. And um, since I had an ample um, um, audience of, of folks through Flying Club um, that um, were looking for my services, uh, that took more of my time than I really had available. And, in fact, had to turn away uh, some students, uh, unfortunately. Well, and that brings up a, another good point, is that a lot of times, th this is what I've seen at the airports, the people like yourself that are good flight instructors and are working part-time, a lot of times you actually are busier than some of the full-time instructors, and you wind up turning down work. And I know what I've done is I've actually pushed that off to other flight instructors at flight schools. I think I help at least I like to think I do, it helped flight school when I do that. Is that something that you've, you've tried to do? Yes, I, I've actually referred several people to our local airport's flight school. Um, in fact, have uh, two or three people now that are looking for primary training that I'm pushing them towards the flight school. Obviously, we, we need to have a good relationship. I don't want to compete with a local flight school for students. I do this for fun, um, more so than any financial reward, and it keeps me very current on my uh, my skills, obviously, both oral skills as well as um, the flying skills. Um, but I want to make sure our flight school is active and vibrant because that benefits uh, not only themselves, it benefits the airport, and in the end benefits uh, our flying club and myself personally, I believe. Well said, well said. I, I, I believe that. I think uh, independent instructors at the airport just bring more business. You know, the more instructors, the more pilots we have, the more people in the air, uh, the, the more vibrant I think the aviation community will be. Um, it, let's just back up one moment. I, as far as your flight instructor certificate, uh, when did you actually decide to do that, uh, and, and how did you get your flight instructor certificate? Well, it's a, a fascinating story, and, and I'll be brief. 
but um, I used to fly in the Young Eagles program, and as you know, you take kids from, I believe it's 7 to 17 years old, and uh, introduce them uh, to their first flight. And so I did that for several years at our local airport, and uh, one day, uh, a family asked me if I would give their uh, son, who was autistic, a ride, uh, which of course I did, and um, they said, you know, he'll hold on to things if you let them grab him. So I put his hands on his lap, and we took off, and um, I was not an instructor at that time, and uh, we got out of the pattern, and uh, his name was Brian, and I said, Brian, put your hands on the steering wheel, which I explained to him, and uh, he was non-communicative, but he seemed to be able to understand some things. So I put his hands on the wheel, and he went up, and he went down, and he turned the plane, and uh, after a period of time, we landed. And uh, about a week later, a friend of the mother's uh, came over to me at the airport and said, uh, Brian's mother just wanted you to know that you changed Brian's life. Wow. And I asked, how, how was that? And he says, well, about a week after um, you gave Brian the flight, uh, we were talking about something in the house, and we said, well, Brian can't do that. And for the first time, Brian spoke up and said, yes, I can. I can fly an airplane. I realized, and then... The next year they came back and asked me to fly the whole family, which I did, and he was a little more communicative, but I recognized that uh, by virtue of this passion that all of us share, uh, I actually had a real impact on someone's life. And I thought, well, maybe I can do that same sort of thing by instructing. And uh, so that caused me to pursue uh, all of the different ratings and to become a flight instructor. Wow, and that, that is a terrific story, how, how you're able to take your passion and, and pass it along and become a flight instructor. It's, you hear that quite a bit amongst people that do do the flight instructing part-time. They just want to share that, that passion, and you, you've had a profound effect on someone's life, but not just one person's life, other people's. You know, I, it, What's interesting, a, a lot of people, I guess, don't realize we actually were in the same flying club for a while, and, uh, you know, I actually had to leave the flying club because I wound up living somewhere else. But I've actually had, you've had an impact on my instructing because when I got back into instructing, I had to go out and teach somebody how to do a commercial rating. Well, I hadn't flown this airplane in, oh gosh, a decade. And, uh, and I had to come to you, Tom, and say, hey, Tom, you know, you're the one, you're here, you're experienced. And here I am flying, you know, 800 to 1,000 hours a year. But uh, we don't realize that we have resources out there like yourself, people that are working part-time that may have more experience in that type of flying, we, and we have to reach out to the folks like, like you. And, and that's why it's wonderful to have people that are passionate about flying and flight instructing doing it part-time. People like myself who do this for a living, uh, we actually can learn from, from those folks who are doing it part-time. And that's been terrific. I mean, that, that's been, you were a big help in, in, in my getting actually one of my students through, and, and I do appreciate that. Um, the, uh, and, and I know that at the, I get the emails still from you because I still get the emails from the Flying Club, and you really are active. I know, I know at the local flight school here that some of these instructors don't do as many check rides as you do. You know, don't get as many, I should say, more uh, pilots through their certificates as you do. I mean, it's terrific. I think you do a, a bang-up job. Um, but but how, how in the world do you do that? I mean, it, 
here you are, you have this job. You work like a nine to five job, I assume, and, and you can tell me a little bit about that. How do you balance all that? How, do you, how are you able to, be, to do this and get all these students through and have a successful career? How do you do that? Well, uh, five ratings this year is too many. <laughs> Number one, and uh, really my plan has been, uh, and I've tried to adhere for here to it for the last um, 10 or so years, is that I would try to take one certificate student, an instrument student, at a time, and then I would help people with biannuals and checkouts and planes and that sort of thing. And, uh, and that worked out real well. And then by virtue of the fact that many students kind of start and they stop for a while or they take a winter off, which is not a good way to get a rating, as you know, but it happens, I ended up with too many students at one time, so I had to manage it. Um, my philosophy has been devote your time to one student, maybe two students working on a rating, because you don't want to not be available for these folks when they're getting a rating. Um, so unfortunately I had a lot of students, which I really enjoyed it, but from my standpoint I, I travel probably 75,000 miles a year because I'm platinum level with the airlines. <laughs> And I work a full-time job, so I'm in an office every day. And um, so when I instruct is at night, so I would come from work, I'd drive to the airport, stop at McDonald's on the way. Uh, I'd do an uh, hour and a half to three-hour lesson uh, at night. And uh, then on weekends, it would be uh, Saturday, um, good part of the day. And then Sunday afternoon, because I'd play golf in the morning. So um, my wife is very tolerable of that. Of course, <laughs> my kids are growing, so, uh, so that is not an obstacle. But for me personally, um, if I had uh, one instrument student or two students at a time, I can devote better allocation of my time to uh, that many students. So nights and weekends is when I would do it. Now, as far as scheduling and going out to the airport, how do you do that? Do you do it uh, through just calling the person, or, or what advice would you give as far as scheduling with a student? I guess it's easier if we just have one. Well, as, as you know from our flying club, uh, we have the electronic scheduling program, and uh, so students could see availability, and I would let everybody know that I'm available at nights and I'm available on weekends except in the summer uh, uh, Sundays after two I'm available and then um, they usually would send me an email with uh, a couple times or if it's a regular student I would try to schedule that time right at the lesson so that we knew when we were going to meet again or schedule two or three lessons ahead so there's repetitive plane availability and certainly they've got my devoted time well, I, I have to really agree with what you said as far as just doing one student at a time, especially if you're doing it part-time. Uh, you know, I take on students, but only, I used to try to do more than one, 
and uh, and the scheduling is an issue for some of us that don't have that electronic uh, scheduling. It becomes easier if you just uh, call the student yourself and you just have one because you can do that. And maybe share a calendar online. Like we use Google Calendar a lot of times, that, that type of thing. Um, the Now, when you say you teach, you teach at an airport, uh, one other issue I want to address, and I've tried this, and I, I nearly had a nervous breakdown doing this, trying to teach at more than one airport, and it just, uh, I couldn't do it. It, uh, it was overwhelming, and I found that if I was just at one spot, it made life so much easier. Do you teach at other airports, and would you suggest just staying at one? Yes, I agree with you. Uh, one airport is, is preferred. Uh, there are two other airports that I have done some instruction at, but it's very, very minimal, and, it, and it's not a rating where I'm jumping back and forth. It's usually uh, to help someone out or a flight review or something like that. During your instruction, one of the things that you may uh, run across is some type of liability. Uh, I know that I, su- I suggest, and I know most people get insurance. Do you, would you recommend flight instructor insurance, and do you have it yourself? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I wouldn't instruct uh, without that um, obviously as we get later in life um, you acquire fortunately more assets and you have more at risk and um, it, it's it's a fear probably with every flight instructor and uh, certainly a big fear of mine that despite your best efforts and best record keeping that something happens with a student and unfortunately if that happens uh, everybody gets sued and the flight instructor um, insurance covers all of your attorney fees and I don't know what the rate of success but I'm presuming that I would never lose a case but the cost of attorney fees would be prohibitive and the insurance covers all that plus of course a million dollars liability so uh, you can't I mean anybody who instructs any student without insurance is taking a huge risk unless they have no assets. <laughs> then it's no <laughs> risk at all, I guess. Right, right. You know, it's interesting you brought that up because uh, on our, the other podcast I'm a co-host of, Victoria Neuville, she's with AirPros Insurance, and they do a lot of the insurance for SAFE, the Society of Aviation Flight Educators. Uh, there's also insurance through NAFI and uh, Avemco has insurance, etc. So it's really easy to find it. If you're part of NAFI, if you're part of SAFE, uh, you just call up your insurance agent, say, or any aviation insurer. Of course, AirPros are the ones that we uh, we try to promote uh, on this podcast and just go out there and say, hey, this, this is what I want to do and this is the type of insurance I want to get. Um, one other thing that they will do for you is they, if you do have your own airplane, they will, will tell you how much it's going to be to insure your airplane. And as, as an addition to that, I did look into that uh, because I was a partner in a 182, and the insurance is quite high. So you would have to teach, uh, uh, it's usually 10 times the amount of insurance that you would normally carry, uh, that, what I found with my airplane. And you really have to teach quite a few students. And then you really get into the point of maybe losing a little bit of money that way. So yeah. that, that, could, that could be a little bit difficult. Um, bringing up the money issue, how is it that you go about figuring how much to charge a student. I know my formula, but what what is it you use? How do you figure that out? Um, well, that's interesting. Um, since we have other flight instructors in the club um, and we kind of know what each other charges, we're, 
we, we don't want to put ourselves in a position that we're competing with each other. Uh, we do this for fun. We love it. And uh, we're not trying, it, it, myself, I'm not trying to make a living doing this. If I was, I'd be charging a lot more. Right. In the same vein, I don't want to so significantly undercut the flying school that it looks like I'm competing with them. So I've tried to strike a fair balance that I think is appropriate, um, that makes it worthwhile for me to go out to the airport. Of course, I'd do it for free <laughs> anyways. Right. I told my students that. <laughs> but, you know, I try to strike a balance so that nobody thinks I'm competing with other instructors and the flight school doesn't think I'm trying to undercut them to take their students because I really don't need to do that and I don't want to do that. The flight school at our airport is, is very crucial to our flying club's future and, uh, and they do a wonderful, wonderful job and I've referred students to them. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and and that is a balancing act. How do you uh, charge? What uh, what I normally do is I look at the rate at the local airport uh, because sometimes I'm asked to go to a certain airport. And I wonder, I find out what their uh, rate is for the owner aircraft, and that's what I normally would charge. Uh, as far as getting back to the actually making money, I found in my instructing part time, I was actually able to make uh, a good amount of money and actually pay for. Uh, my hobby. As a matter of fact, more than pay for my hobby and have a little extra cash left over. Is that what you found? Yeah, I, I think that um, certainly to my wife, I tell her it's a break-even. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, it depends how much personal flying. I, I do Oshkosh every year. I do a lot of flying on my own, and um, so the money I make helps cover that. Um, but I'm probably pretty much a break-even considering insurance and considering personal flying and, and costs for the uh, aircraft with the uh, club. So I'm pretty much a break-even every year. Right. From a tax standpoint, you know, it is a business, so you do have to record that. And some years it's a, a tax loss, and other years it's a, a positive cash flow. Speaking of your wife, getting back to the balancing of your family and your full-time job, and you're instructing, I think it's important uh, for most people to realize if they have a significant other, if they have, or any other family member you're living with, say your parents, you, I think you need to have them buy off on what it is you're doing and really communicate uh, with them as far as when you'll be instructing. And, uh, you know, even for me with this podcasting, I podcast almost every night and I have to, you know, say to my you know girlfriend listen this is what i'm going to be doing this and we have our own our own time alone um is that something you'd agree with him or what what have you done what has your experience been in trying to balance that all well one my children are growing so i don't have to be concerned with that and my wife is extraordinarily understanding and uh so that's good and secondly she knows that by being a flight instructor i'm at the top of my game flying wise and my skills are as good as most any other pilot and that makes for safer flying for me and safer flying when she joins me on some of the trips that we go on uh, so she's very understanding of that but it, it does go in peaks and valleys the first part of this year as I had mentioned I had a lot of students and I was flying an awful lot and 
turning some students away. And, uh, and now it's slowed down a little bit. So uh, literally I, I am flying to more night, but um, I haven't flown in uh, a few days. So, um, so I seems to work out fine for me. But you're right, making sure that you have that communication is, uh, is pretty important. And, you know, the more I talk to people, and the, the more I find out how, how really, really important that is. Uh, you have you that has a passion for something, and you really do, and, and no matter what it is, really. It could be golf. It could be sailing. And if your spouse doesn't have that same passion or your significant other, you really need to communicate that and, and strike that balance. So that, that is a good point. Um, getting the, the one last thing, um, or actually two last things. First of all, how would somebody who's just getting into this part-time you obviously don't have a problem with marketing yourself what would you suggest someone first do uh, when they do get into this part-time and how do they market themselves as a flight instructor uh, what's the best way to do it just stand there with a sign and say hey I'm here <laughs> <laughs> well uh, being a member of a flying club and getting to know members is probably uh, them where I gained most of my students. And then by virtue of that, word of mouth uh, carries forward to other people. And, and fortunately, I, I think I've developed a pretty good reputation um, for flight instructing and have the right personality and reliability so that other people have come to me either for ratings or flight reviews. And, and that's all helped. But the flying club opened the door for me to get exposure to a lot of other pilots. And um, since I never really had the goal to really build a big business, the word of mouth has worked out very well. But I've also done a number of different seminars for our flying club, and I've done an FAA seminar. I became a, um, you know, an air safety uh, counselor for the FAST team. Um, and that gives you exposure to a lot of other folks. Probably, this would be conjecture on my part, if you affiliated with a flight school, of course, that's an active flight school, then that will bring in students, and those students long-term will come back to you for refreshers, biannuals, and, uh, and further ratings even if you're not at that flight school and doing it freelance. So if I didn't have the flying club, probably affiliating with the flight school would be a good way of doing it. And if I might add to that, I think if you become part of an aviation community, and your community may be your flying club, um, you know, I actually still do the aviation safety rep here in Tampa. You know, when I do the meetings, that I'm out there in the community and people say, hey, can uh, you do my instrument rating, that type of thing. No matter what it is, it's good to be part of that community. You have yours. And I, I think that uh, you know, being affiliated with a flight school is, is, a, is a large community. People come there to find out about learning to fly. And that's, I think that's really good advice. And I, I think anybody can take away from that, uh, that they can actually go out there and build a really successful part-time flight instructing business by being part of that community. Um, is there anything else before before we get into our product recommendation here? Uh, any other advice you'd give to to somebody about part time flying? You know what what would be one of the most important things to to think about before you get into it and uh, and to keep in mind while you're working as a part time instructor? Well, with any rating, 
if you want to move up the ladder uh, to a flight instructor. You really need to be passionate about it and you can't do it over a long period of time or I don't recommend that. Uh, spend the time make sure you have the resources to be able to do that or in the end it will cost so much more money in relearning. Right. And then as you get involved in flight instructing, uh, what's really critical from my perspective is that you are reliable and you do not cancel on students and you do not show up late. Uh, in addition to that, you have a well thought out plan for every lesson. Of course, that's what we learn as we go through our flight instructing training that you have to have a plan for every lesson and communicate that to the student in advance so they recognize you're following a syllabus and you're giving honest and constructive feedback. Um, it's an art of instructing, adjusting your personality and your demands to fit the personality and learning characteristics of a student, of course. And if your student respects you and realizes that your first interest is their safety and their ability to move forward with their rating, not only will they stay interested, but they also will refer other people to you. And, and that's worked for me. As you know, so many students drop out of training and that's at all levels and part of that is because of finances part of it is due to time commitments but I think another part of it is the instructor if the instructor isn't continually motivating them to move forward and to be successful and and share the scenarios about how they can use what they're going to learn then their interest will drop off particularly when they hit those various plateaus in their learning and they get frustrated, it's very easy for them to, well, I just wait for a while. So instructor to continue, to get the student to continue the training is really quite critical, I think. Wow. That's some great advice. Well, you know, Tom, I really, I really appreciate your uh, you giving us this advice and, and sharing your experiences. And I was wondering if, if some of our listeners have any questions, uh, can I forward those to you and maybe uh, you answer them? And uh, be happy to. Great, great. That'd be that'd be terrific. Well, uh, well, I appreciate it, Tom. If you just uh, want to hang around for another second, and uh, I just like to go through a, a product recommendation. I think this would actually help some of your students that are thinking about about a career in aviation. Um, I one of the recommendations I have at the end of this uh, series, we usually uh, have a recommended product or, or service, and one of them is uh, called the Professional Pilot's Career Guide by Rob Mark. Robert Mark is uh, actually one of the co-hosts of the uh, AV Airplane Geeks podcast. Excuse me, the Airplane Geeks podcast. This is the book that uh, actually got me started in flying professionally. And I'll have links to this uh, book on my website, and you can actually link to Amazon and see what other people have to say. I, uh, you know, just 
don't just take my advice. See what other people have to say. So I'll have an, a link to Amazon there. But if you're if you're considering a career in aviation or know somebody that's considering a career in aviation, this, I think, should be one of the first books you read. Uh, he goes through everything, uh, the lifestyle, uh, the pay, the work hours, uh, the not-so-glamorous side of, of flying. He really is true and gives a, a, a true feeling for the career of flying as a professional pilot. Um, like I said, this was really instrumental in me becoming a professional pilot. And so you can just go to Aviation Careers Podcast and link to that uh, on on Amazon. Well, you know, Tom, that wraps up the show, and I, I really do appreciate uh, your talking to the folks here. Uh, that was terrific. There was some great information you gave us. I'm sure that a lot of folks will have some questions, and we'll, we'll definitely uh, pass some of those al- along to them uh, or pass those questions along to you and, and uh, maybe start a dialogue there. So I really appreciate it, uh, Tom, and, and hopefully maybe we could talk again soon. Okay, and hopefully I see you at Oshkosh. Yes, I, I hope to see you there. Well, folks, thanks for listening to uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. Again, if you have any comments or questions for me or my, any of my guests, feel free to contact me on Facebook at Aviation Careers Podcast or on Twitter at Flying Careers or by email by going to aviationcareerspodcast.com and clicking on the contacts page. Well, keep your eye on your goal for uh, maybe it's flying part-time. Keep your eye on that goal and keep looking forward to moving step-by-step towards your career goal and only you can define that and it's very important to keep your eye on that and define it for what's best in your life. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, All Rights Reserved.